25. I'll pull a Pastor Rick Lynn tonight. Uh, Hebrews 10.25. We were just looking at one verse anyways. Uh, what, what all can I say from this? All right, Hebrews 10.25. I just want to give you a quick little challenge tonight uh, out of this popular verse. But hopefully I could just be a shot in the arm for you. But Hebrews 10.25, chapter 10, verse 25. I'm very thankful to be here. I've always wondered what Pastor Ricklin was doing out this way and how the church was going. I've always been, I've prayed for it at different, different times and was just interested in what you did. And it's, it's, it's neat to see it. It's, it's exciting. I'm just, I'm living out. I want to bring my whole family out here. I wish I could have brought them. Uh, one of these days, we will. We come out west a lot. Well, the Bible says here in verse 25, and I apologize, I'm already fast for being up north, and I, I just, I, that's the way I am, I'm sorry. Uh, but verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Praise God, you're doing it tonight, you're assembling uh, together, <laughs> as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, and so much the more. That's kind of our key phrase tonight. It says, as you see the day approaching, and when I was on Facebook, I've temporarily uh, disbanded it because of uh, my daughter, Lathia, uh, but I, so I don't know what's happening. They're probably fighting about everything, but when I was there, you know, they would claim, you know, the end is coming, right? It's the day's approaching. Well, if we really do see that, I think we should see more church perspective of this as we, as we apply ourselves to this verse, but I want to challenge you with this thought tonight. Are you so much the more or so little and less? Are you so much the more or so little and less? Heavenly Father, help us with this thought tonight. Lord, I pray for these people, even though it's a Sunday night, and these are people that uh, most of them were already here Sunday morning, and this is that second service. Some are the first time, but many of us have already been here this morning. This is the faithful crowd. This is the assembling crowd. But Lord, help us to dig in tonight. Help us to view this church as my church, as the church where I'm going to serve and love and pray for and support my my pastor. May we get uh, our roots dug a little deeper tonight, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This Gallup poll a few years ago said that 37% of Americans, it's probably less now, report that they attend any religious services weekly or near weekly. And that was just a few years ago. 37% probably probably could be down even uh, down as low as 30% at these times. Uh, that number two has been edging down over the years. It was high as 49 in the 1950s. There's so about 50% of all Americans were attending church. But now it's just kind of been hanging in the 30s, low 30s now uh, in recent years. The decline in church t- attendance is more pronounced in developed European countries where it's suggested that secular culture overrides interest in religion. Especially with all this rise of social media and YouTube and becoming like a YouTube star and making millions on YouTube, it just comes to secular culture. You know, I've learned a lot. You know, um, I'd give uh, I'd give a million dollars for my dad to come back when I was two. You know, I, I don't care how much money somebody makes. Money does not buy family. Money does not cure cancer. Money can't save your soul. But today we have this love of money. It's a little more pronounced in, in other perspectives to the young crowd, especially through YouTube and Instagram and, and all these kind of social media things. I'm not preaching at social media. I'm just saying there's a love of money that's just not on the surface, but it's, it's promoted in, among many of these things. And secular culture is taking our interest away of the things of God and putting it into our culture and the way we live our lives with all of our mini laptops in our pockets. If you want to kill a church, never go to church or meetings held there. If you do go, be late. It's no, no one's affair. If the weather is bad, either too hot or snowing, just stay home and rest, for there's others going. But should you attend, be sure to remember to find fault with the work, each official and member. Be sure to hold back on your offerings and tithes. The bills will be paid by the rest of the guys. And never take office if offered the post, but eagerly criticize work of the host. 
If not on a committee, you're placed on be sore. And if you find that you are, don't attend anymore. When asked your opinion on this or that, this thing or that, have nothing to say, just turn them down flat. Then after the meeting, shine out like the sun by telling the folks how it should have been done. Don't do any more than you possibly can. Leave the work for some other woman or man. And when you see faithful ones work themselves sick and stand up and holler, it's run by a click. There's a lot of ways to kill a church and destroy a church. We ought to have great unity with God and the Bible and doctrine and philosophy, but we, we sometimes get very upset over the color of the platform, of the wood stain that was stained on this pulpit, how you know it's maybe it's a little lighter than this, this chair. You know, we'll argue about that, and oh, I'm leaving the church because the church is too, it's too brown. I just can't, can't look at that brown chair anymore. I, I first want you to see in our text tonight the assembling of the phrase. The assembling of the phrase. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Of ourselves together. You know, let me give you some reasons to attend from the context. If you look at chapter 10, and you go up even to verse 1, and we don't, we're not going to read everything, but, but there, there's many, many reasons to come. You know, verse 1 is because, because good things have come. In verse 2, it's because my conscience has been cleansed. In verse 3, he remembers my sin no more. That's a reason to attend church. Uh, verse 4, because his ultimate sacrifice for me on the cross. Verse 5, because his body was given for me. In verse 6, we see because he has a pleasure in his son. It's all about his son. In verse 7, because we hear about Jesus in the volume of the book and often it's preached uh, from this pulpit and taught from this pulpit. In verse 8, it's because we're not under the law, but under grace. In verse 9, nine because he established the second covenant, this covenant of the gospel. In verse 10, where he's sanctified once for all by Christ. In verse 11, because he took away my sin. In verse 12, because he sat down. And in verse 13, because he made his enemies his footstool. In verse 14, we ought to attend church and assemble together because of the because he uh, it made me perfect forever. In verse 15, because of the Holy Spirit. And you could go on and on within that context. There's many reasons to attend. And as you get to even to verse 24, we're told to consider consider and provoke our brothers and sisters to good works. And then in verse 25, we're just plainly told we're to assemble together, assemble together. Now, I want to give you a few reasons outside of the context of chapter 10, but just from clergy of the past, pastors of old. You know, Dwight Moody said this about church attendance. He says it's as vital to a disciple as transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. It's just what we need tonight. There's an atmosphere. There's something that happens after we leave here. It's, a, it's a kind of hard to describe. It's kind of hard to tell other people, especially those that are unfaithful to it, maybe a Sunday night. It's just, it's just, it's just blood to my soul. It's just, it just speaks to me inside. It just it encourages me you know, for that Monday morning. T.S. Eliot put it this way, The church must be forever building, for it is forever decaying within and attacked from without. There's people yet to reach. You know, this other uh, guy said, are you intimately involved in your church, stirring and being stirred by fellow believers? It's God's plan for your spiritual growth. You won't grow as much as you can if you don't get the Sunday night. You won't grow as much as you can if you don't get the Wednesday night or the Sunday morning or any of the other services or the prayer time. Uh, early morning, you know, when, when a few of the, the church people meet together in that back room and pray, there's just something about that time that, that's important as you assemble together. You know, as we read the uh, early chapters of the book of Acts, we're struck by an unusual nature of the church of Jerusalem. These early believers were driven by an intense love for Christ, and it expressed itself in the most dramatic uh, attendance and involvement and service in the local church. It, it's very important, uh, this thing called the local church. Uh, church health is key to church growth. All living things grow if they're healthy. You know, uh, as we decorate many churches, you'll see these flower arrangements in, in almost every church. They're either the greenery in the back or, you know, seasonal uh, treats to look at in the front. 
And uh, But no one usually uh, decorates with dead things. They didn't put like a dead tree here or something decaying. Or it may be fall time. You can almost get away with it. Or winter time, I guess, you know, lit, lit just twigs. You know, but, but generally speaking, for the standards, and I, I don't think this usually moves, right? This is like permanent throughout the year. Yeah. So usually, most times you see that in church. You see greenery. Or we use green for graphics because it denotes growth. It makes sense. You know, no one comes to a flower bed and it's all like decaying and falling apart and leaves, you know, just just it's just dying. Oh, that's just wonderful. It's beautiful. No, no, growth makes sense. Growth is green. And so church has to have growth in it. And and how are you gonna grow if you just if you, if you just don't come? Now let me give you reasons to attend from the scriptures. You know, in the first um, this is Acts chapter two, but a very familiar passage. I just want to quote from verse forty five. Uh, it says, and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, uh, continuing daily in one accord in the temple, uh, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and signals of heart, praising God and in favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So as they met together and fellowshiped and did all those things, uh, we, you know, had signals of heart. They were just in, in unity uh, along this, this this new thing called the church. You know, think about even the context. You know, it was just like church. There was like one church, the Church of Jerusalem. There was like only thing. Where do you go? I go to church. Like I go to the church. There was like no other church. <laughs> and uh, but you know, as they had this unity of, of collecting together and meeting together and fellowshiping together. God added to that thing. He, he, he saw it was a sweet place. You know, I'll add to this place because they seem to be in unity and they seem to be assembling and, and, and just getting behind what I've uh, intended our, my believers to do. I mean, he wanted Peter to do this. We heard about Peter and he, he would be that first pastor and he would preach on the day of Pentecost. And then God adds to that thing after the 3000 and he adds daily. Do we want God to add daily to our midst? Well, it takes a commitment to assemble together. We have to really get this phrase of the assembling together. You know, why is it important? Well, you know, maybe next week you don't attend. And then someone comes in and, well, it's kind of lower. I, I, you know, it's my kind of first Sunday night in a while, but it doesn't look like anybody else cares. And then, then they, maybe they stop coming. And then and it causes another person to say, well, if they stop coming, then why am I really coming? I could do a lot of better things on a Sunday night. And then they stop coming. And then someone else says, well, you know, if so-and-so's not coming and they didn't come, and I know they're just home watching the game, you know, I might as well I might watch the game too. And it just then, it just, just snowballs out of control. Why? Because your attendance, your assembling, is commanded and it's, and it's, it's told you, to you by God, but it's also practical because it just builds what we're trying to do here. We ought to all assemble together. It's very practical. We can all be together and in unity over these things. But there's another thing here in our text, other than just being told to assemble together, because I know for the most part, I just, I just preach to the choir, but in verse uh, 25 again, it's, I want you to see the aspects of the phrase, the aspects of the phrase. In verse 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another uh, and so much the more. Now, to exhort somebody, it essentially means to lift up. But um, I remember from Greek, Greek class, I learned the word parakleo, and I thought of paracletes. And I still remember this to this day as someone just comes alongside. You know, he calls to one side or you're kind of jogging along. I had that word picture in my mind so I could write down the right answer. But this, this word, you know, you just run along, you're just encouraging. You know, um, you know, I don't know if you ever ran. I don't like to run. I like basketball, so I like to run with a purpose, you know, run with a, a ball in, in my hand. And it just, just, just to run. I mean, I have run with the Coast Guard guys and some other soldiers, but, um, you know, it's just, it's just really tough for me. I'd rather have a basketball. 
But uh, it'd be a lot more encouraging if someone's running with you. When I run with the guys, it's, it's a whole lot of things. It takes a lot of commitment to just be a runner, to get out there every morning and just run by yourself. You either got to like, put music on or something, or you just got to be really committed. But if someone's along with you, it just it just really encourages you. That's why I like working out and exercise is always better with a partner, because it just, it just encourages you. Church is the same way. You have to have a friend here. You have to have an encourager. Now, your pastor is your exhorter. He does exhort you with the word. But you need, you need your circle of friends. You need, the, you need the local church to be those people that come alongside you because we exhort one another. That's what we do here. When we assemble, we exhort. As the men or some is, some reject the assembling, but we ought to be exhorting one another. Now, don't come to church and see somebody struggling and kick them. You know, a lot of times we see them and they're, they're, they're already down. Well, let me just get another jab in them. And we kick them while they're down. But really, the local church is designed to exhort and to lift up and to help. As we see somebody struggling or a new believer or a young family struggling with kids, as you uh, have done with other kids in the church, we ought to exhort and help and assist and encourage. And, and beyond that, you know, just, just everything about the local church as we serve. You know, we, we shouldn't expect the, the cleaning crew to clean up after us. If we've made a mess, you clean up the stuff yourself, put away your hymn books, put away the Bibles, wipe stuff down, wipe the counter. I mean, all that's important because this is our church tonight. We want to exhort one another. It encourages all of us if we're all in it together for a grand team. We can function more properly if we exhort one another. You know, some were deterred by fear of persecution. The context of Hebrews, maybe persecution, they were not, as the manner of some is, some were forsaking it. Maybe they were uh, neglecting the duty because they felt no interest in it. Maybe some had doubts about this new thing, you know, as he's saying, you know, Christ is better and better is the theme of, 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 uh, of Hebrews, you know. And uh, maybe they had doubts about Christ and the Messiah and this new covenant and the, and the way that they were doing things. You know, maybe some, some were just dissatisfied. Maybe they just kind of lost heart or didn't care anymore. Who knows really what the reasons were, but that's the manner of some. But we ought to exhort one another, one another. And then I love this little phrase here, the actions of the phrase, the actions of the phrase. Look at verse 25 again. We saw those first two parts, but then it says, um, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, the actions of the phrase, and so much the more. You ought to be a more believer, a more believer, not just attending, not just exhorting. We're to do those things. We were just told to do that. But it says, and so much the more. What does that look like tonight? And so much the more. <clears throat> Backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Christ, our rightful master, stands against the foe. Onward into battle, we seem afraid to go. And so much the more. And so much the more. You know what we need in the local church today? You know what we need right here at our church at Grace Baptist? Uh, your church? <laughs> I said our, but yeah. That's the pastoral way to say it. Our church. You know, that's what I would say if I was home. Your church, Grace Baptist. We need more fervent praying. We need more praying. God help us that it's a small crew praying every Sunday morning. God help us. We need more fervent praying at Wednesday night, Sunday morning before services, uh, in our homes privately, among our families, with our spouses, with our children, and our, and our family altars. We need more fervent praying at the job, in front of others, at, at mealtimes, in public places. We need more fervent praying. We need prayer sheets. We need answers to prayer. We need more fervent praying. We need more. We need so much the more. We need more passionate teaching. We need teachers that love the kids. We need teachers that love those teens. If you don't love the kids or teens, get out of that ministry and find something you love. But we need more passionate teachers. Or God, have them break your heart and, and make you passionate. We need more like-minded servants. We don't need argumentative servants. We don't need uh, crabby, uh, crusty servants. We need like-minded, uh, loving servants. 
We need more teary-eyed soul winning. We need, we need people that are breaking inside. You might not come to tears, uh, but you ought to be breaking inside of this world. You know, right now there's a, there's a teen probably thinking about committing suicide. Right, right here. I guarantee it. You know, there's some, there's some, there's a family that just has no concept of God and the Bible, and they're raising their family to just be heathens, and they don't even know it. You know, there, there's, there's people out here that think that they love money so much they, they, they could care less about God. They need God. We need more. We need soul winners that are just teary-eyed, that are, that are emotionally connected to what they're doing. That, that we're not just telling a cute little story, uh, you know, we, which we call the gospel, but it's the life-changing gospel that changes the heart. We need more people coming in dirty and leaving out white as snow. We need more sinners that need repentance. We need more drunkards, weed heads, gang members, high society, addicted, homeless, hyper-religious, Democrats, Republicans, single moms, nuclear families, pagans, moralistic, soldiers, doctors, teachers, mechanics, food service employees, jobless, uh, uh, Wall Street executives. Uh, we, need, we need everybody. We need to, nah, I'm going to say it wrong, nah, uh, Nevadans. How do you say the word again? No. Nah. Nevada. Oh, I'm going to say, we need more Nevadans. No, no, Nevadans. Am I saying that right? We need so much the more. And I'm trying to contextualize that, that, that word there. You know, old-fashioned, spirit-filled, Christ-honoring, sin-hating, soul-winning, Bible-preaching. It's the hope of the church. It's the hope of the nation. It's the hope of the world. What we're doing tonight is not just sitting together and just hearing a cute little sermon. It affects lives. It changed my life. I'm still not over it. I'm still not over it. Let me tell you, Mr. Birchwell died of cancer. I'm still not over it. I've decided to just never get over it. I'm still not over it. Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not what I need to be. I'm just a regular guy, but at least I'm not over it. I'm not over it. I've not gotten old and crusty and dusty. I, 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 it's the hope of the world. It saved my soul. I wasn't going after God. God was going after me. God sent something ablaze in my soul, somebody once said. And that something is still burning tonight. When you tell me not to build a soul-winning church, you might as well tell a bird not to fly or a fish not to swim. It's a call from within. Why can't you be like other preachers? Why, why can't we just teach a little bit? Get up a little stool and teach. Because preaching it changes people. And it's a time for teaching. There's nothing wrong with teaching. We need teaching and preaching. So much the more. We need more attending, more worshiping, more churches planted, more mission sending, more giving, more praying, more preaching, more soul winning, more serving, more listening, sanctifying, evangelizing. And the Bible says right here in verse 25, and so much the more. What does that look like? Well, I've tried to explain it. I still don't understand it. And so much the more. More exhorting. More assembling in the context. More of everything. We just need more of this church thing. We need more of it, not less of it. Number four, the approaching of the phrase. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Do you really believe Jesus is coming soon? Do we, do we believe in an imminent return of Christ, meaning it could happen at any time? I believe in that. I believe the Bible teaches that. I believe it's a biblical doctrine. If we truly believe it, do you think we're closer? Well, we're at least one day closer. It didn't happen yesterday, and it and so far has not happened today, but it, but it didn't happen yesterday, so we're a day closer, right? We're least, and we're at least closer than Hebrews 10.25. As you see the day approaching, it could have happened in their time period, and that was a few thousand years ago. We are definitely closer. So if we're getting that close, if we're 2,000 years closer, and we're days closer, and maybe some of you feel like our culture today is just calling his return quicker, well, we just look at the landscape, wars and rumors of wars, and this corruption, this this debauchery, and this this aspect of, so, uh, of culture, uh, he's just coming at any time. Well, if we truly believe that, it should affect our local church attendance. It should affect the way we assemble. It should affect the way we exhort one another. If we truly believe what we say, and we're not just saying it, 
then it would affect what we do with this verse. It, it would change it. As ye see the day approaching. It's talking, talking to you. As you see the day approaching. The day of God. The day of the Lord. The day of his second coming. There's a day approaching which calls for preparation. A day which no power can ward off. No riches bribe. It may come suddenly to many of us. To all it is approaching with gradual but determined and a decisive step. It's coming. The day is approaching. It is approaching. This guy, Gregory Elder, said this. Growing up on the Atlantic coast, I spent long hours working on intricate sandcastles. Whole cities would appear beneath my hands. One year, for several days in a row, I was accosted by bullies who smashed my creations. Finally, I tried to experiment. I placed cinder blocks and rocks and chunks of concrete in the base of my castles. Then I built the sandcastles up and uh, on top of the rocks. And when the local tough guys appeared and I disappeared, their bare feet suddenly met their match. <coughs> Many people see the church in grave peril from a variety of dangers, secularism, politics, heresies, plain old sin. They forget that the church was built upon a rock, built upon a rock over which the gates of hell itself shall not prevail. You know, the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know, think about this. Uh, the church is not a weak institution. In, in, in many ways, it's the most powerful institution that God has started. It was He didn't come to put down universities and children's homes and prisons. He came to start the church, the local church, this very thing that you're a part of. It's a big deal. Now, if you're like a first-generation Christian like myself, we, we maybe don't think too much about it. We know how much it affects us. But don't we at least deserve, if we're first-generation, to then give it to somebody else? Why should it stop at us? If we were reached through somebody, and this is our first church potentially for some tonight, uh, or maybe this is you've been in church your whole life, but either way about it, why, why is it going to stop with us? Isn't there another Dave Wilt out there or Rick Lynn? And aren't you glad Rick Lynn came here? Aren't you glad Dave Wilt goes to New York City? Aren't you glad for every missionary that goes to where you were and, and planter and, and, and pastor across this great land? Well, why is it going to stop with us? You know, Mr. Wayne Birchwell at the time was just a Sunday school teacher. He was just a teen teen teacher. He just taught the, the Sunday school to teenagers, and it was just, I think, three or four of them. But, but I, was, you know, I was a teenager, and someone, I guess, gave my information, and he knocked my door. So, you know, is, isn't there another person out there? Absolutely there is. Could that be the next missionary? Could that be the, someone that's reached? And Absolutely. The church being in all ages kept uncertain how soon Christ is coming. The day is and has been in each age practically always near. Whence believers have been called on always to be watching for it is nigh at hand. It could happen at any moment. It could happen tonight. Have we, have we served God to the fullest or are we holding back? I don't care how gray you are, how young you are, how much Bible knowledge you have, whether you know everything, whether you know nothing, it's time to dig in tonight. It's time to understand that God has said, we ought, we ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as a man or some is, uh, but, uh, but exhorting one another, and so much the more. I want you to be a more Christian, a more believer, a more church believer uh, tonight, as we attend a church attender. Uh, you know, let's just do more tonight. There, there's, there's plenty more. You know, one thing we could do, is we, we could all focus on one person. Uh, many of us have an empty seat next to us, many, unless it's your family, but most of us have an empty seat. Could there be a friend you, you encourage? Hey, Sunday night with the missionary was great. We're having another missionary come in, or just in general, Sunday nights are great. Uh, hey, why don't you come out? We'll get food afterward, but we'll try coming out tonight. You know, we, we should not let, let, leave it up to just the pastor to do all that. And, you know, we could, we could encourage that person to come. 
And then beyond that, hey, come out maybe Wednesday night or come out, you know, that prayer time in the morning. It'd be, it'd be great. We've got a couple guys praying. We don't keep you forever. There's some good coffee. Usually there's some little pastries. And uh, just come pray for a little bit. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for God to do something. And God will. God will do it. So much the more. There's more to do. And that was just a few ideas. You could think of a hundred ideas. But so much the more. Heavenly Father, help us to be so much the more and not so little and less. Lord, we don't want a church to just become old hat or we, uh, just so habitual to our lives and so uh, uh, just just we're doing it out of out of like a ritual or out of just uh, just good moral habits. But Lord, may we really just dig ourselves in. Lord, this is my church. This is our church tonight. Lord, we ought to do more tonight. We ought to reach more, encourage more, exhort one another. There's so many things to do in the local church. I'm sure Pastor Lynn could give you a list of just things to do around here. There's plenty of work to do, plenty of outreach opportunities, and it just takes people that are willing to do these things. And I pray you empower someone tonight. With the heads around eyes closed, let me ask you just one important question. 